Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. All right, and welcome everyone once again to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm Chris Mosier, your host for this week. We are joined by stalwart staff folks, Brett Isaacs, Stan Gonzalez, and Ed Espinoza this afternoon. It's terrific to have you with us as we uh, arrive at uh, what's become a bit of an annual tradition uh, at Progress Texas, uh, both in our online iteration and also uh, with the podcast, where we look back on the year wistfully and as positively as we possibly can and we examine the best and worst Texans of 2022. From our perspective, of course, from the progressive perspective, uh, we're gonna roll through these. There's an accompanying piece over at uh, progresstexas.org for you to check out as well. Uh, we find this a great way to kind of look back and see where we've come over the last year and also uh, begin to start forming up the ideas and the plans and the and the, the hopes and dreams and aspirations for what's to come. Uh, because of course we are all going to be continuing uh, with the fight for progress here in Texas. But as we always do, let's uh, go around the uh, the horn here and see what everyone is having beverage-wise as we begin our happy hour today. Let's start with Brett Isaacs. Brett, what are you having? I'm sure it's really exciting and yummy. It's such a terrible place to start. Chris, you set me up for failure every time. Jeez. <laughs> I'm having sparkling water, but it's the kind that Ed stocks the fridge with, so it's flavorless. And I'm not gonna just like, like me. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I just like I'm not gonna condone bad behavior, but I think Ed deserves to be bullied in the reviews for this because it's pretty <laughs> heinous. I mean, it's it's gonna do the trick. I will be hydrated, but it's uh, you know, not even citrus flavored. So the uh, the sparkling plain R Lacroix makes for a great beverage mixer. Not that Brett's doing that right now, but just to to put a positive spin on that as much as I can. Sam, uh, what are you having for a beverage today? So I just got back into town. I was visiting my family on Thanksgiving. And so uh, my friends just left whatever beers they had in there. So we're talking about best and worst. Uh, I guess they decided to go worst. I have a Miller High Life. So uh, I'm going to drink a Miller High Life. Not local, not nice, just that's not bad. Anyway. Yeah, it works. <laughs> there, there, there are absolutely moments when Miller High Life is, is absolutely appropriate. And I would say this is one of those moments. Uh, down to Ed Espinosa. Ed, what are you having for beverage today? I have, uh, once again, another repeat drink from the Zilker Brewing Company. This is the Parks and Rec Pale Ale. And there's your opener. And uh, I always like Parks and Rec because it makes me think of the TV show, which is probably one of the closest depictions of what politics is actually like. In media, I think that like movies like The American President or in like The West Wing, that's fantasy. But like Parks and Rec and Veep, I'm sorry to say, are more like the real thing <laughs> of, of all the shows out there. It's funny, Ed, because I feel like you couldn't choose two more different TV shows in a lot of ways. In terms, which shows? Uh, Veep and uh, Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec, yeah. Parks and Rec is like notoriously, obviously upbeat and happy, and shows the power of like the liberal agenda and Veep is foul-mouthed and depressing and everyone's a narcissist. Local and federal. Touche. Very nice. <laughs> Nicely executed there. Uh, and of course, now that I've bagged on Brett Isaacs for having another boring drink yet again this week, I must admit that I'm having coffee. Uh, but oh I uh, am... But I'm having it from my uh, Austin <laughs> High School, Austin Maroons Yeti mug. Uh, shout out to the Austin High School uh, uh, girls basketball team who are undefeated and kicking everybody's ass up and down the court. And so uh, way to go, Maroons. Loyal nice. forever. 
So uh, let's uh, let's roll into uh, to this. It's a countdown of sorts, and we're actually we're actually going to kind of ping pong between the best and the worst because they actually kind of line up in an interesting sort of corollary sort of way. It's been in one of those years. It's been a year that came out of, of course, 2020 COVID, 2021 trying to recover from COVID. 2022 has been an election year where Democrats in Texas built up our hopes. We thought we had it going on. There was so much ammunition, of course, that the Republicans had served us up over the last uh, couple of years that we hoped would carry us towards some statewide wins. Alas, that did not happen. And so we're at a moment where I think for Democrats, it's very easy to look on the, the not bright side. It's easy to see things in a negative sort of way right now. But there actually was a lot accomplished. Uh, we were able to hold the line at local legislative and congressional levels. Uh, the national story for Democrats was was pretty positive overall. Uh, absolutely some wins to celebrate nationally. And here in Texas, there were a lot of things that happened on our side that were absolutely positive and inspiring. So let's get into it uh, on a positive note. Brett Isaacs, give us our number one best Texans of 2022. So not to be controversial, but I actually think the number one spot is pretty easy to define because the number one spot that we have goes to Mothers Against Greg Abbott, which is a fantastic grassroots organization and truly stole the spotlight um, this year for a number of reasons. Um, for those of you who don't know, they were a, originally a Facebook group started by a truly grassroots movement, which in these days in politics is somewhat hard to find. And so they used the power of grassroots of disgruntled people, particularly mothers, particularly women, to create incredible messaging, which is something we can really appreciate here at Progress Texas. They put out amazing ads. You can check out a lot of them online, many of which went viral over sites like Twitter, um, RIP. <laughs> and um, they also you know, had incredible organizing power as well, which was amazing. And as Ed likes to point out, they also reclaimed the initials of MAGA. So obviously Mothers Against Greg Abbott, MAGA, which was pretty fun. And from what I've seen on Twitter, they're not going anywhere. It seems like they might be looking to um, transition into Mothers Against Ted Cruz which seems like a pretty exciting uh, situation. So I'm really happy to give the top spot to Mothers Against Greg Abbott. They did phenomenal work this year, even though it was an uphill fight. If you remember any commercials from the 2022 election, the ones that some of the ones that stand out the most that you may remember are ads that came from Mothers Against Greg Abbott. Uh, if you remember the one, the first day of school, it's the mom dressing her kid up, taking the picture, and then you see the picture and it's a kid in combat gear. That was just right. one of the ads that came out. And there's so many groups that pop up and do good work in Texas, but the Mothers Against Greg Abbott group really made a big impact because it was a grassroots group that made TV commercials. That's really hard to do, but they did it, and they did it all on, on donations, that, no donations of $1,000 or more. I went through their reports and every donation was was a small dollar donation it was just incredible what they were able to pull off yeah those commercials were high quality they hit the nail on the head every time every time they put up a commercial every time they put up a video everyone was kind of like whoa share shareable content like that political content that can go viral that's pretty impressive to do. Pretty good job done also in just Absolutely. getting straight to the point of all the different uh, reasons that we arrive at our number one worst Texan. Back to Brett. Let's talk about uh, who made the top of the list. Pretty obvious, I'd say. Yeah, I think, like Chris said, these kind of all play in together. Um, the number one Texan is easily Greg Abbott. And you know what? I'm actually not going to spend a ton of time on this one because we did a whole other podcast of the top reasons why we hate Greg Abbott. It's comprehensive. It's all accurate. But the one thing I will say, out of all those reasons, 
he is the top of the list, I would say, by a long mile. But what catapults him to the top right away is his response to the massacre in Uvalde. I mean, everything we've done this year, few things created more rip more waves in Texas than the overturning of Roe v. Wade and also the loss of life in Uvalde, the preventable loss of life in Uvalde. And Greg Abbott's response to that just puts him at the top of the list by a wide mile and then everything else he's done just piles on and on and on. So if you want more information on why you should truly despise this man, check out that other podcast. But it's, you know, the fight against him is not done. And I'm really grateful we have organizations like Mothers Against Greg Abbott and other ones to help us continue in the fight for justice. And if you want to take it another direction, Google miserable uh, Operation Lone Star. If you want to see where your tax dollars are going and what things are being uh, having funding pulled to fund into, yeah. Operation Lone Star. All the border stunts. All the border stunts, all those things cost us money. A lot of it. So look that up. And also there's a blog, uh, the top 10 things we hate about Greg Abbott on progresstexas.org. Go ahead and check that out if you like to read. I would add that uh, you would think that uh, the the crazy stunting, all the uh, the hard right ridiculousness might come to a little bit of a lull after the election was over. That maybe the, the electioneering uh, in the form of just being as despicable as he can possibly be might have ended after the election. But no, Greg Abbott has continued right along since he won the election, continuing to act like a complete dick, including... Uh, at the moments uh, where he's talking about what you guys were just talking about, the border, he's again using the word invasion, yeah. which, by the way, is the language that was the precursor to the El Paso shooting uh, is very much what inspired that stupid kid from Plano to drive all the way to El Paso and do what he did. And so uh, any any idea that Greg Abbott was going to chill out after he you know kind of coasted to victory this last time, uh, he does not appear to be chilling out. So let's move along to uh, number two, both our best and worst Texans. Uh, number two on both of those lists. And I'll take this one uh, to start out with, with uh, our number two best Texan, uh, Beto O'Rourke. Uh, in spite of uh, a lot of bad things that can be said about Beto that were are absolutely not for any lack of effort. He once again did not manage to win, third time in a row. Uh, but the, the flip side of that is the fact that this man and his family have put themselves out there in a way that I don't think you can say any other candidate uh, on the progressive side in Texas has done in a long time. Perhaps Mike Collier, who has also been trying very hard, but Beto uh, very much engineering the top of the ticket for, for Texas Democrats uh, as best he could, uh, totally inspiring in the way that he handled uh, the situation in Uvalde, I think uh, totally channeled the feelings of, uh, of, of millions of Texans uh, going through that horrible situation. Uh, he's very much a part of the reason why we uh, managed to pick up legislative seats in uh, 2018 and hold on to them in 20 and 22. Uh, he's a guy that, uh, that again, didn't quite get the job done, but was absolutely inspiring in the way that he threw himself into a difficult uphill battle uh, three different times. And so our hats are off to Beto O'Rourke. How valuable is it to have somebody who's able to run as often as he has been as a Texas progressive, as someone who's trying to make change in a state that people have written off and to give those people hope and yeah, didn't get it done this time, but now we have a little bit of a blueprint. What we should do, what we should lean more into, pull back from, and that's where you, that's the most beneficial thing. That's why he is one of the best because if we didn't have him, we don't have a, a, a way to figure out how to, to counter some of the things that the Republican party has been able to do successfully. You know, Beto did some really good things. He said it was giving some really strong speeches. How do we get those messages out further? Maybe 
we can take some notes, figure it out moving forward. That's really valuable. There's a little bit of Beto fatigue out there, let's be honest. But the thing is, that doesn't change the fact that this is a good man who really the, his, his only drawback was that people just saw so much of him. You know, he didn't have the same problems that you see from lots of other politicians. He didn't have Herschel Walker problems. He didn't have the kind of problems that you see associated with lots of Republicans. But Beto put his heart and soul not only into these campaigns, but into the legislative sessions in between. At its, at its core, he's a very good organizer. You know, we talked about this in a previous podcast. I don't know how much more we'll see of Beto work in the near future. I think he's earned some time off. But I also think he's earned our appreciation for everything he's tried to do in the past few years. Let's pivot from from Beto O'Rourke to who we consider to be his companion on the other side, on the dark side, let's say, and our number two worst Texan. And I think I'll go along the line that uh, that Brett took with Greg Abbott because the, the horribleness uh, is very much apparent just on the surface level when you start talking about Ted Cruz. Uh, who has just continued to uh, to be the the slimy lizard that we all know him to be, uh, very much just a, a continued example of uh, really the worst nature of the right wing in Texas, right up there at the at the U.S. Senate level. Anybody else got anything to say about Ted Cruz? Yeah. So what's crazy about Ted Cruz is that he wasn't even on the ballot this year, yet he still managed to make the worst list because he always has something terrible to say. And there's so many terrible things to say. I can't even keep track of them all right now. I know Sam and Brett, I know you guys always see his stuff and you're sharing stuff in our Slack channels and on social media, on our progress social media. But like, man, what is wrong with this guy? (laughs) <laughs> what did we do so bad? Like we have to, we're represented by so many terrible people. What did we do so bad that we have to be represented by him as well? Even Republicans don't like him. Right. I mean, uh, look, you can go back to last week where he was right next to Herschel Walker, helping right. him along with his speech. And then you can go back to like, was it March when I was, we were doing some of the statistics for our social media and he was talking about the Muppets getting it on. Oh, that's right. I'm like, that was this year. I'm like, <laughs> Why are you talking? At all. And he also, and was running. the Big Bird thing this year? Was that, that might have been. Uh, that might have been the last one, but it was about <laughs> like, I guess they had maybe an LGBTQ character to Sesame Street. And he was like, yeah, I go to, I go to Skidamax for that kind of stuff. And it's like, what are you talking about, Ted Cruz? Good <laughs> God, man. Remember when he liked porn on Twitter like a couple years ago? But apparently <laughs> Muppets are too out there for him. Like On 9-11. Uh, on uh, 9-11, <laughs> he did that. You know, the funny oh thing God. is, so. <laughs> Our Humans Against Ted Cruz campaign that we created in 2017 was was going to be called Cruise Hub. That was like the working title oh. of it, based on him liking a Pornhub uh, tweet or something back oh, then. Also, just real quick as a sidebar for Humans Against Ted Cruz, man, the legs on that thing. <laughs> the fact that it's been able to go on so long. He keeps giving us a reason to bring it back. We thought it would be a one-year campaign. Five years later, it's still going strong. <laughs> ProgressTexas.org slash shop. Click on the shop, find your Humans Against Ted Cruz merchandise. <laughs> Makes great, perfect stocking stuffers, I might add. So we we will have, you know, Ted Cruz, like we said, was not even on the ballot this year, but still just in being a horrible human being, managed to stay on the radar. He will very, very much be on the radar as he will be running either for re-election or for something else. Brett, what do we think Ted Cruz's next move is going to be over the next two years? What What does our fight against him look like? Well, first of all, I like 
hate to have to, you know, try and put on his ugly skin suit and it's just a dark dismal place and I human skull helmet it actually creeps me out the way you described that yes well I'm just <laughs> calling it like I see him but um no he he will be on the ballot in 24 if he decides to run again for the US, US Senate however it was long projected that he was going to decide to run for president though in Texas you can do both you don't have to give up your seat in order to run for higher office um but now I'm not quite sure what he's going to do. And I'm just going to walk you through some of my um, projections because he was definitely planning to run for president. But I think a lot of that was predicated on Trump not running or if Trump was running, him being the main like opponent. But now that's probably DeSantis. And I think if Beto, sorry, but if Beto had like stayed out of the governor's race and chose Ted Cruz as his nemesis, kind of in the way Stacey Abrams did as um, did with Brian Kemp, maybe Ted Cruz would be more nervous. And he, but now he probably thinks his Senate seat is a little bit safer. Um, and I'm just projecting here. So I don't know what he's going to do, but I definitely think he wants to run for president. Why the hell else would anyone go to Iowa? Like, please show me a reason. <laughs> Um, sorry. Eh, no, I'm Agreed. not. Agreed. Um, so I do think he wants to run for president. The only question is, is he going to think 2024 is his year or is he going to wait a little bit longer and try and run again in Texas? I don't know. I will be there to boo him every step of the way. So what happens if Ted Cruz is running for president and maybe Greg Abbott is running for president? You have two people from the same state competing. Wow. Yeah. Mind Sorry mind. to just throw some some uh, more bad news on top of bad news, but uh... after DeSantis's <laughs> win in Florida on election night, I'm not positive Greg Abbott sees a way into the White House. DeSantis upstaged him with the migrant busing thing. He stole Greg Abbott's thunder 100%. DeSantis is younger. He has way more name recognition and popularity. I'm not sure Greg Abbott will see a viable way in, into the White House. He'll probably try and set himself up for either like a VP position or a very high administration position. Maybe AG. <laughs> yeah, this, exactly. I'm, so mad, I'm so mad thinking about those potentials. Oh boy, that'd be awful. We clearly, as the opposition to all this, have our work cut out for us. And I would also add, just in closing for Ted Cruz, that just the, the fact that he is such a reprehensible person uh, tells us something about uh, the, the loyalty, the tribal loyalty of the Republican Party. Uh, they, As someone said earlier, Republicans don't even like this guy. They will continue to vote for him if he ends up being their party's nominee. And so this is something to think about as we as we begin to oppose him. Brett, go ahead. Can I just say, as you're closing, to close out, it's so funny you mentioned loyalty because Ted Cruz has none, not even to his own wife, who Trump called ugly, and then he continues to kiss Trump's butt. So very, very uh, choosy kind of loyalty right there. Ho, 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 it's that time of year again. The Progress Texas Holiday Party is coming up on December 7th in Austin, our annual cocktail party where we hang up our door-knocking shoes and try on something more festive. Join us to celebrate the end of campaign season and the start of the holiday season. We've got all the details pinned to our social media feeds on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The fun happens on December 7th in Austin. Hope to see you there. So on to uh, number three here. We're uh, on our way through, again, our best and worst Texans of 2022. A brand new frontier in the battle. Uh, Ed, tell us about number three. So 
politics in America have gotten crazy. We have all seen that over the past few years. And there are a few places that have gotten crazier than local school board elections. You have seen it happen with mask mandates and school closures, all the, the hyperactivity around that in recent years. But then you really saw it kick up a year ago around book banning and around critical race theory and anything else you can think of that is is some sort of a boogeyman that Republicans are coming up with and they've zeroed in on school boards. Now, but these school boards have become really po real political hotbeds around Texas. There are even podcasts about how some of these crazy school boards are acting. There's one in North Texas called, I think it's called South Park or South Lake, around the South Lake School District up there. But there is one in a suburb of Austin called the Round Rock Independent School District and a group called Access Education Round Rock came together and were able to stop a group of far-right Republicans who were trying to take over the school board in the name of things like book banning, in the name of things like silencing the LGBTQ community, in the name of things like trying to stop any kind of health and safety procedures around the pandemic. And look, Round Rock is in Williamson County a suburban county just north of Austin, previously known as a bastion of conservative activity, but not anymore. It has now become a, a quintessential swing county in Texas, and that is epitomized by access education in Round Rock being able to not only stand up to these conservatives, but they beat every single one of them. And it's if it can be done in Round Rock, it can be done in your district, wherever you're listening from around Texas right now. You know, when we look at the big names like Beto and, and of course, um, Rochelle Garza, who we know and love here at Progress Texas, and they don't get over the hump, and that's disappointing. But groups like Mothers Against Greg Gabbett and uh, Access Education Round Rock are still doing good things here in Texas, and I think it's important for us to recognize that because these are real David and Goliath stories happening in this state. We've talked a lot about how the Republicans, uh, historically, at least in the last couple, three decades, have been a little bit better at playing the long game than progressives have. And I would say that this attack at the school board level is very much uh, a symptom of a long game that they're playing. They're trying to convert hearts and minds of young kids uh, into following along with their agenda. And so uh, it's both uh, small time and immediately in your neighborhood, right there in your community to go get involved with this. But it's also the bigger picture. It's also the longer game. Uh, let's go back to, and speaking of which really easily dovetails into uh, back to Ed, number three, worst aspects, worst Texans uh, that we were able to come up with this year. So inversely or conversely of uh, compared to the school board fights of, with, with Access Education Round Rock being uh, one of the best at the number three spot, one of the worst in Texas is a broad category of people trying to ban books, book banners. Book banning is something that we historically only heard about in World War II out of Germany when they were throwing books into bonfires and things like that. And who knew we'd ever be having this conversation here in 2022? But it all happened when a legislator named Matt Krause, who was running for attorney general a year ago, issued a list of 850 books that he said should be banned. And it set off this frenzy of Republicans who were trying to ban books in schools, which is crazy. And the thing is, it's like, 
it shouldn't even be a partisan issue. And when you ask voters in polls if they agree with book banning, of course they say no, because people recognize that you should, there should be an appreciation for books, right? That matter of fact, people even say you shouldn't write in books because you should protect them. Yet here people are saying that you should ban certain books. And no surprise, the majority of the ones they are trying to ban are overwhelmingly LGBTQ friendly or talk about uh, the history of race in this country in a way that is not flattering, which we should talk about. I, I, this movement is such a huge step backwards for our state and our country that book banning deserves to be, has, has squarely earned itself as the third worst thing in Texas in 2022. Um, I just wanna, you know, not to be annoying or a contrarian, but I want to push back a little bit against something Ed said about like, you know, book banning and being, you know, from Nazi Germany and oh my God, we can't imagine it would be here. There's a long history of censorship in the US and book banning and the US does not deserve to get, I know that's, you weren't saying like the US has never done it, Ed. I just want to be clear for our podcast listeners, like, you know, this is not a unique thing to 2022, but this is not about, you know, trying to actually, you know, create a safe environment for children. It's about trying to rewrite history. And that is one of the big differences. Of course, a lot of the books that have been banned, you know, some popular authors like Judy Bloom and Mark Twain have been banned in the past, and they're not necessarily making inappropriate content. It's just like sometimes, you know, it hasn't meshed with mainstream society. But I think the big point is that the books that are being banned are ones that are accurately portraying the picture of America and the picture of American history. And in the you know meantime, Republicans are also trying to restrict what teachers can teach. So they're trying to restrict the flow of in information about society and how we got here to kids. And that's a huge problem. And as I've said before on this podcast, and we'll say a million times, it particularly is heinous in Texas, where a lot of textbooks are produced for the entire country. Oh, yeah. So what happens here right. ripples out across the entire right. country in a way that not a lot of people understand. So, you know, your textbooks in Montana, in California, in Washington, D.C., in Brooklyn could be written in Texas. And yeah. our politics and school boards and this kind of information influences what all kids across the nation are reading. Hey, Chris, do you remember a couple of years ago when uh, a parent looking at her kid's textbook in Texas, saw that a reference to slavery had been referred to, and they were referring to slaves as migrant workers. Right, mm. right. Or involuntary employment or something like that. It was some slimy sort of yeah. sidetracky comment, yeah, or, or, or classification. Yeah, it was that, that, that kind of thing. That's what's gonna happen if, if we don't hold the line at the actual removal of books from school libraries. I mean, you can definitely count on the next, you know, the next rung down the slippery slope is that the books that are allowed are going to be crafted very much to the liking of the of the school boards that are in place, which is like makes it even more important uh, that we continue to pay close attention to this battle uh, as it continues uh, here in Texas. I do know I've, I've got two kids in college now, uh, just by the hair of my chinny chin chin, no longer have children in public schools in, uh, in Texas. On one hand, I'm glad for that because my kids will not be subjected to this. But if, if I were, if my kids were in school and this was happening, I'd be keeping very careful track of a list of the books that are being banned. And I'd be checking them out for myself to make sure that those are reintroduced to my kids. If school boards that are not to my political liking are trying to...
craft the the content that my kids are learning. You do have to, and by the way, this is all being done by a political side that's all about supposedly about parental rights, the rights of parents. What happens to the rights of parents who want their kids to learn all about the real world and how things really are in the real world? So whatever happened uh, to free speech? Exactly, exactly. I totally agree. Small with that. government. And also the the type of student I was, by the way, when I was a kid, if I had heard that some school board had removed a book, I'd be the first one out there looking for it. For and sure. they're still doing and, that. The best way to get attention for a book is to ban it. Students are going to look it up on the, on the internet right away. <laughs> You're absolutely, actually creating absolutely. incentives for them to be curious about these things. So do pay attention to the school board level, the education level of, uh, of electoral politics in Texas. It's a very, very important uh, area that uh, lends itself, as we mentioned, to grassroots individual activism, which leads us very nicely to uh, our number four level, our best and worst Texans uh, of uh, 2022, number four best Texan. Uh, let's take it away, Sam Gonzalez. Well, I have a little bit of a story for our number four because I'm new to politics, just joined Progress Texas, and we're at one of the rallies at the Capitol, and I'm manning the desk, and a young lady comes up to me, and she says, oh, yeah, Progress Texas, I like you guys. I go, yeah, uh, I'm just trying to, I'm new here, I'm trying to get some videos developed and things like that. And she goes, yeah, that's what I do. I do some videos for uh, Gen Z for change, and we have a little bit of a following. We're doing pretty well for ourselves. I said, oh, well, nice to meet you. Let me get your information, got her information, and then she went about her happy day. About a month and a half later, Matt Gates goes, hey, lady, I don't like the way you look. And she goes, well, Matt Gates, nobody likes you. Cut to like two weeks later, raised $2 million for progressive politics and policies and whatnot. Our number four is Olivia Juliana. I, I like met her right before her stratospheric rise, and I was like, she's really nice. She really knows what she's doing. I was looking at her videos like, wow, really, really getting Gen Z involved. And then she does that. And I'm like, what in the hell? How awesome is that? Like, how awesome is it to take a moment like that in the spotlight and flip it? And like the gen, the, really the Gen Z nature of it is to make content out of it, is to make it something greater than it, than it was before, which was just a dirty insult able to flip that to $2 million plus and continuing to be a positive voice for progress in the state of Texas, in the United States, you know, locally grown in that manner as well. So, you know, when they say like, Oh, well, Texas is all Republicans. No, the best of us can be young. The best of us could be female. The best of us can be progressive. And so that's why she's our number oh, four. Sam, stop it. Hey, I wasn't, <laughs> I said the best, I said the best of us, not the best. Oh, I heard. <laughs> Um, but no, that I mean, she's awesome. And anything that you see with her, she's clapping back. She's joining other progressive movements. It's it's so strategic, but so authentic. Demonstrating that not only is she a force to be reckoned with, but that Gen Z is a political force to be reckoned with. And to see her voice and that generation making such a splash right now is very heartening. I'm glad to see it. I, I look forward to seeing more of it. I absolutely love Olivia Juliana. I think the work she does is so fantastic. And I love the the adjective you use, Sam, authenticity, because I really do think that that accurately describes the work that she does, especially the digital work and organizing she does. And I have a lot of cynicism about clapping back and, you know, that sort of uh, like let's dunk on conservatives mentality because yes, it's hilarious, but it really, I, I just don't think it gets us anywhere. Um, you know, I think Sam, you and I disagree on the benefits of like late night sort of comedian John Stewart 
uh, messaging, but Olivia Juliana does it really effectively, which is not to say Jon Stewart didn't. I love Jon Stewart. Do not <laughs> come for me. But my point is that I think Olivia Juliana is someone who I really respect in that sense because she does it, she does it really well, and she does it in a way that is super great and easy for progressives to digest and then also amplify. So I have a ton of respect for her. She's so, she's young, she's so smart, she's, you know, really in the movement and um, I think she's fantastic. So yeah, I'm so glad she made the list. And talking about those slams, you, know, you were talking about how kind of she claps back towards politicians. She's actually able to leverage that Matt Gates situation into something more. Uh, that brings us at least to the other number four that we have, our worst Texan. And unfortunately, he's now a Texan. Our number four worst Texan does the complete opposite when it comes to people coming after them. Uh, it's Elon Musk, everybody. Our number four worst Texan is Elon Musk. Now, obviously, God. you know, moved moved everything to Texas, so technically he is a Texan or whatever, <laughs> Tesla and whatnot. Yeah, that's highly arguable, but I'm not going to go yeah. right, right now. Right, like by definition. Here. <laughs> well, you, you kind of have to because, yeah. I mean, well, to finish that comparison, though, you know, uh, Olivia Juliana turned her – bullying someone trying to bully her into two million dollars plus elon musk gets bullied all the time and he just blocks people he bought a he bought an organization bought a bought twitter to keep people from bullying him and it still hasn't stopped uh, we'll talk about two sides of the coin when it comes to texas homegrown authentic young smart and then you go to the other side the worst from somewhere else not that that's a bad thing but not a native texan billions and billions of dollars and and no nothing really to show for it no authenticity. I don't think there's an authentic bone in Elon Musk's body. It, it's it's not only how how he is, like the things he does, but it's his general attitude about things is the antithesis of Texan, right? Like Texans are known for being hardworking and being neighborly. And he doesn't really seem to exude either of those things. Like he wants the people around him to be hardworking. What is he saying? He wants his engineers to be hardcore, whatever the hell that means. Mandatory 18-hour workdays. But <clears throat> is he exemplifying those workdays himself? Does he even say what he wants them to be doing in those 18 hours? The guy is, uh, to use a Texan phrase, uh, all hat and no cattle. And, uh, you know, I, I actually wonder how long he'll stay in Texas. Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, like, even if he was working 18 hours a day, he wouldn't deserve the level of wealth that he's achieved. He wouldn't deserve the level of notoriety he's achieved, quote unquote. Like, I think that he is a truly just weird human being. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just absolutely somebody who revels in controversy and... Um, uses it to a truly devastating effect, you know, and I have a particular bone to pick with him. I'm not going to, you know, expand on anything that's already been said because we literally have a whole podcast of me just absolutely crapping on Elon Musk. <laughs> and I stand by every word. Um, but the other thing, the, the main thing that just absolutely pisses me off right now is that he's like, Twitter is going to be, you know, the, the arbiter of free speech. It's going to be a very like neutral platform where people can come and go as they please and say what they want. And then right before the midterm, this man tweets out, basically, I'm voting Republican and you should too. Yeah. Like, fuck you, man. And I'm just going <laughs> to say that again for posterity. Fuck you. Like, you don't get to say that you're creating a neutral space and then advocate for a political party like that. It really is just gross. It truly says to me that he understands completely what he is doing. His goal is to build, 
like his army of incel, you know, crypto bros into a political force and then translate that into political power. And it's hilarious because everyone kind of sees right through him and they're like, you're so lame, you look weird, and also you're not funny, so let's pile on. And that's his biggest crime. He's not funny. And it's just like, that's the worst crime you could have with young people. And guess what? Olivia Juliana, very funny individual, <laughs> very charming. So yeah, it's, it's a nice comparison, this number four. Incel Crypto Bros is, uh, is a, a, a unique demographic that we're definitely gonna have to keep our eye on for the next little while. And the uh, I also want to say this this all this conversation on number four, both the best and the worst, uh, reminds me of something that uh, the famed uh, Texas political commentator Molly Ivins once said, and this was actually towards the end of her life prior to, to uh, losing her way too early uh, to cancer. She pointed out that politics in very meaning, meaningful ways is not left versus right. It's top versus bottom. And mm-hmm. so uh, uh, comparing Elon Musk to Olivia Juliana is uh, is definitely, you know, in line with that. Let's continue along our actually our last entry in uh, number five, uh, best Texans and worst Texans. Also, interestingly, uh, exemplifies uh, kind of the best of what can happen uh, when you're up against a truly heinous policy and what can happen on the worst side when you basically seem to have have lost any kind of bearing on any sort of ethics. Uh, let's go ahead uh, and go back to Brett for number five here. Number five, and you know, I think that you could truly place this anywhere on the list. I don't think it necessarily needs to come at number five, but number five is the Grace Act, um, which we have talked about on a previous podcast. I don't remember which one, so you should just listen to all of them and leave us a review and a five-star rating while you're at it, by the way. Um, but the Grace Act is an Austin City Act, which essentially deprioritizes um, the per- prosecution of abortion related cases. So if you don't know, which you probably do, people with uteruses who can, are capable of getting pregnant are basically criminalized in Texas at this point with the loss of the overturning of Roe, but truly before that, the passage and implementation of SB8 back in 2021, which was something we covered and fought against. Austin has used a tactic which um, is pretty prevalent in cities uh, that are in states that have laws against marijuana use where they've instructed law enforcement and prosecutors to not go not seek out those cases and it's really awesome um it's a great way for the city government to say that they understand the needs of the citizens far better than the state government ever has at this point um and i'm really you know proud to live in a city that does something like that it it is an imperfect solution but it's not for lack of trying and it's great to see the city kind of use the resources at its disposal to protect the people who live there well but by the way clarification it did pass austin city council but i don't believe it originated there it has happened in other cities in the south and cities in tennessee cities in georgia san antonio has taken it up i believe that um Dallas was also taking it up. Uh, and the reason I bring this up is because it's it's not to take anything away from Austin. I think that too often our state government targets Austin. So I think it's important to say that uh, many other cities across the South have taken it up as well. Interesting also that uh, the, the best fight is being fought at the city level in Texas. Uh, interesting that already there's been a bill filed or a, an early advance uh, notification of a bill that's planned to be filed in the uh, upcoming legislature that would remove Austin as a city, that would transform Austin from 
an, uh, an autonomous city into more of like a DC, like a, a capital controlled district. District Federal. Not the first time they've uh, that a bill like that has been filed in Texas, by the way. But uh, as we know, you can never say something's too extreme for Texas because uh, Texas will just say, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. Well, on the flip side of that, um, uh, I saw on Twitter that Representative James Tallarico has notified, I don't think the bill filing hasn't started yet, but he is notified that he's interested in putting abortion on the ballot as a referendum because we've seen a lot of success with that um, in other states, particularly uh, more red states. So I think that would be you know, a really great opportunity for us to rally again around this popular issue. Vote locally, participate locally. You can really make a difference in your area. And this is specifically one of those cases. So let's bring it home, Brett, our uh, number five worst Texans. Ooh, number five worst Texans. You know, if some of the other worst ones weren't so bad, I would say that these folks deserve to be higher on the list. But the number five spot goes to election deniers, just generally, just all of them. Anyone who says that the um, 2020 election was not properly executed, anyone who said that the 2022 election was going to be misproperly handled, just, you know, rotten hell, essentially. But also, you know, you have to laugh a little bit because they just got beat down so bad in so many states nationally. Of course, you know, the lead election denier, um, Good old Ken Paxton um, is still in office, even though he is indicted and um, is a corrupt asshole oh. who should be in jail. But um, across the nation, other election deniers lost their races in droves. It was incredible to see. Um, and so I definitely think the, wor- the election deniers of Texas deserve to be on the worst list because they all suck. And um, we should all just continue to call them out on their BS as much as humanly possible. My biggest question to them is, why are you playing the game if you don't think if you think it's rigged? That's always my biggest thing. If you truly thought that it was a rigged game, why are you signing the paperwork? No, why Sam, are you fighting? They only, think I it's, they, they only think it's rigged when they lose. I know, but, I, but you gotta go first. You <laughs> gotta go with the first question, cycle. right? It's a vicious cycle because they think it's rigged when they lose, but then talking about how it's rigged decreases turnout. So then they lose more frequently, but then they're decreasing turnout. So then, da, 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 da. why don't we just like not have Republicans vote? Can, can you imagine playing Jesus a pickup Christ. game with these guys yeah. and then just saying like like not being able to accept that they might lose a pickup game or what they were like playing children's sports when they were kids? Oh, you I'm mean sure Ted they weren't Cruz. like this kids. You mean Ted Let Cruz, me got it. Also, like, I am a sore loser. I'm just going to acknowledge that. I'm on the record. I am a sore no. loser. I hate, I know, shocking. I hate <laughs> losing. I take it really poorly, but I'm not going to be like, it was rigged. I'm just going to be like, hey, screw you. I'm going to, like, your ass is grass next time. Except <laughs> way more foul-mouthed <laughs> and really a lot angrier. But the point is that... Even I can admit when I lose, I just don't like it, and I'm going to get yeah. really pissed. Brett has never met a Monopoly game. board that she's never flipped. Is all she's saying, and that's okay. That <laughs> doesn't mean that Monopoly as a game is rigged. We've never played. Well, Monopolies themselves are rigged. That's a whole Fair. Other conversation. That's We've never played game. board games, but like you have no idea how close to the truth you are. <laughs> oh. I, bet, oh. I bet, Brett. I, Brett I bet you're the kind of person who flips the board even when you do win. <laughs> You're also not show. entirely yeah. off about that. Because <laughs> you guys know those famous Texas earthquakes that happen around Brett most of the time when we play Monopoly. It's like, whoa! It, it's fracking, I think, Sam. You know, this... <laughs> 
this this comes to a point where there, there's actually a, a a rather dark side and a rather bright side to all of this. So the dark side is that our opponents are not opposed to uh, upending faith in our very system, upending democracy itself in order to remain in power. Uh, there are no guardrails, ethical guardrails for them in terms of uh, a place that they will choose to go or not to go. When it comes to winning, they just want to win and they'll do anything to win. The bright side of all this is that we saw a slew of an election-denying uh, candidates across the nation lose their races this year. So it does appear that the, the American electorate overall uh, has clued in to the fact that we've got one side that uh, is very much playing fast and loose uh, with the very integrity of our system uh, in order to keep power. And so that's that's heartening to see that there are uh, you know voters out there who have realized this and are voting against it. So there you have it, our uh, top five uh, best and top five worst Texans of 2022, which uh, definitely shows that our work is cut out for us, definitely shows that there is a path forward. Uh, for progressives here in uh, in Texas. And we appreciate you listening very, very much to the Progress Texas Happy Hour again this week as we uh, head to the end of the uh, old year and into the new here. Uh, Brett Isaac, Sam Gonzalez, Ed Espinoza, thank you so much for uh, hanging again today. Uh, love all three of you and glad to be on the, uh, on the team uh, with you here at Progress Texas. Make sure and hit our website, progresstexas.org. As Sam mentioned, there's a terrific place to grab your uh, holiday gift ideas. Uh, very stocking stuffable, a whole bunch of stuff, including our Humans Against Ted Cruz gear and everything else we have there in the, uh, in the store. Sign up for our email list. Make sure and follow us on all the different socials. And uh, most importantly, make sure and give us a, a thumbs up or a five star or a, a nice review of the podcast that uh, really does help us uh, spread the word out to the, uh, the community at large. Thanks again for joining us. We will catch you again next time. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.